Well, as we continue in our series on uh, the book of Colossians, or the letter uh, to the Colossians, I should say, um, we have now come to Colossians 3. Uh, and, uh, and this will be our, our last stop in Colossians. Uh, so this week, um, as you reflect on what you've heard over the last little bit, um, go back and, and, and read this again. Um, and, and hear what Paul is speaking to us. Um, hear how everything comes together. And today we read Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of, the wrath, uh, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must rid yourself of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would grace us this morning to hear your word. Or we pray for life in Christ. That you would renew us today. And that you would set our hearts afire for you. And that the words of your scriptures would dwell with us and rest with us and transform us. Help us understand what it means for us to have died and to have been raised with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Uh, I should start this morning with a word of uh, congratulations. Congratulations. You may not know this, uh, but you aren't supposed to be alive today. In fact, the world was supposed to end on Friday. I don't know if anybody got the news. Uh, there was a group that was predicting that, that, uh, that July 29th would be the very last day of this planet. You see, according to them, there is a reversal in the polarity of the earth that is going on. It was all supposed to take place that day. And it was going to, you know, south was going to become north and north was going to become south. And everything was going to go haywire and the whole earth was going to be destroyed. It's good news. You made it. You survived the end of the earth. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a strange thing. It seems like all the time, somebody is predicting that the world is supposed to end. Uh, and it turned out, like all the other predictions of the world's end uh, so far, that this last one was not accurate. I did a little looking because it seems like this, these sort of predictions capture people's imaginations, or at least they seem to come up all the time. So I just did a little looking to find some other dates that the world was supposed to end. So we're going to work backwards from this last one. All right, it was, the world was supposed to end uh, in September of 2015, also on August 23rd, 2013, also on December 21st, 2012, uh, also on June 30th, 2012, also on 27th May, 2012, sometime between August and October of 2011, also 21st October 2011, 
uh, September 29th, 2011, May 21st, 2011. Sometime in 2010, that prediction was kind of vague. Um, April 29th, 2007, September 12th, 2006, November 29th, 2003, May 27th, 2003. The whole year of 2000 is just like one never-ending end-of-the-world prediction. <laughs> 1999, too, and I guess we can, we can see why. May 5th, 2000, April 6th, 2000, August 19th, 1999, sometime in July 1999, March 31st, 1998. And at that point, I got tired of looking them up, and you were probably tired of hearing them. Uh, suffice to say, uh, people seem to be predicting that, that the world is going to end all the time. It captures people's imaginations. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, sometimes we Christians have have given credence to that way of thinking, this anxiety about when is the end of the world going to come. I remember as a little kid uh, at my grandparents' house watching Jack Van Impey Presents. Anybody ever seen Jack Van Impey Presents? There's this guy who had this sort of crazy show that would come on late at night, and he would make all of these predictions, and inevitably it was about the end of the world. And the reason I think that these kind of predictions um, come up so often uh, these kind of predictions in some cases will capture people's imagination uh, is that they play to one of our deepest fears and that fear is death because what is the end of the world but the death of everything and so people are petrified of these sorts of, of claims when they come up now maybe we've gotten a little numb to it because it happens so often but there's a reason that people keep making these sorts of predictions and like I said we Christians have sometimes Done that as well. Most of these predictions are from some, some Christian or another who was claiming to have special knowledge about when the world was going to end. But if we listen to Paul in Colossians 3, he has a different way of speaking about death. And indeed, of speaking about what happens even at the end of the world when Christ is revealed in glory. What Paul says is this. Death isn't just something that may come later for us. Paul says, you have already died. You are already dead, and you are already raised. And then he says, when Christ comes again, that we will, when Christ is revealed, then we will share in that glory. We will be revealed in glory. For Paul, we are already dead. The end has already come, according to Paul. We have died, and we have been raised with Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is to explore just a little bit of what Paul means when he says that we are already dead and we are already raised. And what difference that then makes for the way that we live our lives. What difference does that make for a Christian life, for life in Christ, for us to hope in the glory of God? And Paul talks about what it means for us to be dead and raised in two important ways in this passage. The first is baptism. We'll spend a little time on what it means for us to be baptized, to participate in baptism. And the other is the moral life. What it means for us to be dead and to be raised in the way that we live day by day. And the actions that we take with our bodies and with our souls and our lives. So we are dead and raised. You've already died. If you were worried about dying, well guess what? You're already dead. And you've already been raised. And this is how this is expressed in the Christian life. So first, baptism. What does Paul mean when he says that we are, uh, well, actually, let's take it back one step to be clear about something. Because uh, sometimes people will start to wax metaphorical about these things. I want to be clear at what Paul is talking about when he talks about death. When Paul talks about death, he means 
death. Okay? He's not, this isn't just some sort of uh, way of speaking about something else. We like to use euphemisms for death. We'll say that somebody has passed. Well, Paul uh, is using no euphemisms here. He has in mind real physical death. He's going to get to some metaphors in the way that he talks about baptism in our life, but he has in mind very much the reality of death, the reality of our deaths and the reality of the death of Christ, and then the reality of Christ's resurrection. So when you hear death and resurrection language throughout the sermon, throughout the Gospels, he means it. He means real death and real life. And in this way, the Christian faith um, can be distinguished from some of the ways that we talk about about death culturally and perhaps even in other faiths. Um, we don't see death as just another part of life. We don't see death as just sort of passing a threshold and over into a new reality. Paul is very clear here in Colossians and in Corinthians and in other, in other places. Death is the enemy. It's evil. But Christ has defeated death. That's what we believe about, about the reality of death and resurrection. That this is, a real, this is a real thing, a real enemy. It's not just some illusion. It is, a, it is a real evil that we are all victim of and have all participated in. But through Christ, that great evil can be overcome. So hear this in the most serious and the most direct and, and almost the most literal of ways when we talk about death and resurrection. Okay, so the first way that Paul understands this as he talks about it in Colossians is baptism. And for Paul, baptism is a way of dying and being raised. Now, in the short passage that we read, that's not as obvious. But if you were to go back and read Colossians 2, as no doubt many of you have, Paul says this, When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. So baptism is a death and a resurrection. And not just in a metaphorical way. It is a real participation in the death of Christ. A very real death and a very real resurrection. One of my favorite theologians is a guy named Miroslav Volf. Uh, Miroslav Volf talks about how forgiveness could be a possibility. How uh, forgiveness for our sins could be a possibility. And, and Volf says that, that wrongdoing, that sin... It's sort of like a tattoo that someone has put on us somewhere. Maybe our foreheads, maybe somewhere else. And it seems like it would be impossible for us to escape that wrongdoing, for us to escape that sin. He says the only way for us to be separated from our wrongdoing is a miracle. It takes a miracle. And the miracle goes something like this. That the person who has done the evil deed has to die. And then has to be born again. Now, you and all and I, we may think, well, we haven't died, so we can't be separated from this wrongdoing that we've done. But what Wolf goes on to say is this. It's possible. Now, this requires some robust belief in God. He says this is possible because we have died in Christ, because Christ has died for all. And so we can be separated from our wrongdoing. We can be separated from our sin because we participate in the death of Christ. And one of the ways that we as a church celebrate what it means for us to participate in the death of Christ is in baptism. And that's what Paul says. When we were baptized, we died to sin. We were buried with him in baptism. And then we are raised with Christ into a new life. 
So I want to encourage you today to take this seriously. Many of y'all, most of y'all in this room were baptized. Many of you who are parents brought your children up to be baptized. And one of the things I talk with parents about before a baptism or, or, or trying to remember to talk about is that you know, this isn't something that we do just because you know, babies are really cute and we should, we should make them cry and put water on them, right? Um, this is something that we do because we are in need of God to make us new, even from the very beginning. It's to say that if we are going to be raised in the Christian life, we must die first. We have to die and be raised again. And so to participate in baptism is a death. When parents bring their children up for a baptism, you watch those children die and be raised again. And not just children, adults too, because of course we, we baptize people who come to faith as an adult. When you are baptized, we watch a person die before our eyes and be raised before our eyes into a new life. It's not just a nice ceremony to acknowledge something special that's happened in our heart. It's something that connects us to the reality of what has happened in Christ in a way that we couldn't even begin to orchestrate or engineer for ourselves. When we bring folks up to baptism, whether it's a, as an adult or as a child, we pray this prayer over the water. We pray to God, pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water in those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives. That dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. And that's not talking about your death that happens later. That's talking about the death that happens that moment in baptism. We die and we're raised. And we have a new life in Jesus. We have new life in Christ. And so to be baptized is to die to sin. It's to recognize that we have died with Christ. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, if I'm supposed to have died with Christ and be dead to sin, how come I keep like, sinning so much? Right? Um, and that's true for all of us. When we're baptized and we die to sin and we're raised into new life, um, I believe that we do from, from that reality of Christ participating in us and us participating in Christ, that we do have then the power to say no to sin and yes to Christ, or rather to put it a different way, to say yes in response to the yes that Jesus has said to us through the cross. Jesus has said yes to us in his death, and so we say yes to him in return. And I believe that we have that from the moment that we believe and, and are baptized. But often that takes form in our life little by little, that we die a little more each day, to die to ourselves and to be made alive in Christ. To say yes is an open-ended commitment. It's easy to say no, because when I say no, I've said I can just, I'm done with it. Or I don't have to deal with it anymore. To say yes is much more difficult. Because when you say yes, then you have to say yes again and again and again. So our response of yes to the yes that Jesus has said to us on the cross, the yes that we give in our baptism, dying and being raised with Christ, opens us up to a lifetime of commitment. A lifetime of transformation, a lifetime of change. And that takes place in our lives very often, little by little by little. Now, I have heard testimonies from people and believe testimonies from people that in their commitment to Christ and in their baptisms, that they experience even in that moment a radical transformation. But I also hear and know and know from my own experience um, that we still struggle and grow. 
But at least for me, in the midst of that kind of experience, what I have, what I have known, what I've experienced is that Christ's death in me, my participation in that, Christ's resurrection in me, brings me a little bit more alive all the time. A little bit more alive all the time. I would hope that for all of us, we're a better Christian today than we were yesterday. And that we were a year ago. And now sometimes life has ups and downs and and ins and outs. But the trajectory of our life and death and resurrection is to be raised a little more each day. To die a little more each day and to be raised a little more each day. I want to say something else important. Because when we talk about baptism in this way, sometimes folks get a little nervous. Um, This is not to say that someone who dies without being baptized isn't saved. God's grace to us in Christ is bigger than even our baptism. But our baptism is a very real participation in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Paul says to us. And so we should hope those of us who have been baptized or those of us who will be baptized, we, sh- we, should, we should hope that that changes the way that we see the whole world, that we see our whole lives, that we have completely died and completely been made new. Now it gets back to an important one. This is a complete change. A complete change in our lives. And that brings us to the second way that Paul talks about baptism. And that is in the moral life. That we need a complete renovation. We need a whole new version of us. Now sometimes that can be hard to to wrap our minds around. Because like I said before, we we can kind of uh, use metaphors about death that fail to acknowledge the reality of of what that is. That death is an evil and death is is a complete undoing. uh, The enemy that Christ undoes. One way I've I've thought about this here in the last little bit. uh, Have any of y'all been playing Pokemon Go? Now I've never played any kind of Pokemon before this week. And of course, I would, never, I would never play Pokemon. What am I talking about? I wouldn't do that. Uh, I just know this because I read it on the internet. Right? Uh, so when you play Pokemon, you're, you're, you, know, you collect these little characters, for those of you who don't know, and you can fight them against other people. And uh, I know somebody I know somebody who may have uh, renamed one of their, uh, their Pokemon, John Wesley, and taken over the All Saints uh, Church gym that's over there. Um, I don't know who that would be, though. Anyway. One of the things about when your character dies in Pokemon Go is it doesn't actually die. It just faints, okay? It just faints. It's not really dead. It just needs to be, you know, give it its, its revive potion, and it comes back to life a little bit, and then you give it its other stuff, and it's back. And you can't die. Like, you can't die in the game. It's never, it's never ending. Well, maybe that's a silly way to illustrate this, but... But what we need in our lives is a complete transformation that requires an actual death. We are not talking about just a renovation, moving the moral furniture around where we like look really moral, but we haven't, nothing has really changed in our life. Paul's not talking about, when he talks about death and resurrection in our moral life, he's not talking about uh, just you know, making everything look really good, um, kind of renovating a house, but the bones of it remain the same. He's talking about a complete destruction and a complete reconstruction of our lives around Christ. We don't faint and get revived. We die and are raised again. Great uh, Episcopal writer and theologian Robert Farrah Capon puts it this way. Jesus came to raise the dead. He didn't come to teach the teachable. He didn't come to improve the improvable. He didn't come to reform the reformable. None of these works. 
Jesus came to raise the dead. To raise us out of the deathly ways that we live and into newness of life. And he talks about this in in a couple of different sequences of of behaviors that we read in this passage. Um, The first is this. He talks about fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And the second is this. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth, and then lying he talks about. Those are the things that we need to put away. Now, I don't think Paul, because Paul is cleverer than this, I don't think Paul is just listing like some arbitrary sins that he doesn't like, right? He just just picked a few out of the air. These particular behaviors are chosen as an example of the ways that we have death inhabit our being. The first list, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry, he says. Paul's giving us a little hint of what that category of behaviors are. All of those, in some way or another, are forms of idolatry. They are worshiping something or desiring something in a disordered way more than we desire God. Now, it's not to say that any of those things that we might desire are in and of themselves bad. A relationship with another person. Material resources that we need, wanting those things are not bad, but they are bad if we want them more than we want God. And what we discover when we worship God, when we want God because we have died to sin and have been raised with Christ, if we want God more than any of these other things, is that what we get is actually more. With fornication, uh, impurity, passion, sexual immorality is what he's talking about. What we desire is pleasure. But what, in a right order, and a right relationship with, with God, we get from our desire to be with another person is fulfillment. A relationship that helps draw us closer to Christ. Something that we would hope would last a lifetime of commitment and make us a better Christian in the process. See, when we desire in a disordered way, we get something short-term and ultimately unsatisfactory. But what we get when we desire those things that we should desire in right relationship to God is something that's bigger than we could possibly imagine. The same thing goes for greed. If we desire something materially, we desire ultimately pleasure. We, we We want material resources to make us feel good so we can have some stuff and be entertained for a little while. But what you discover is that those things ultimately fail to satisfy. But if we want things in their proper relationship to God, what we discover instead of just pleasure, is joy. A joy that's beyond our material resources or our material situation. A joy that lasts where things that we accumulate don't last. And so when we desire in right relationship to God, when we desire God first and everything else within that, and it's not that we desire less or that the material world is bad. It's that it comes to life. It can have life only in God. And so to worship a thing or a person rather than God is a form of idolatry that ultimately will fail us and lead us to death. But if we're raised with Christ, we can desire those things in the right way that gives us life. And so all of those ways that Paul talks about there um, of not committing idolatry, what Paul is really saying there is that we should love God. And these are some of the ways that we love God. This is about loving God in the right way. Now let's look at the next list. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. And he goes on to talk about deceiving one another. By the way, I should admit earlier that when I talked about Pokemon Go, I lied when I said it. Never played. Uh, uh, those things are the ways that we relate to one another, especially Paul is talking about within the body of Christ. That if we have been made one in Christ, there's no more room for all this stuff that would separate us from one another. That we are to be united. And so these behaviors, not just things that Paul doesn't like, these are ways that we become separated from one another. Think about the last time that you were angry with someone. This is how I've noticed anger works, at least with me. You become angry with someone, and even especially if you speak that anger... The anger has already separated you in your emotional relationship. When you speak that anger, it's what's called a speech act. Something that takes place when you speak it. You speak that anger and it actually creates the separation. The same thing could be said of slander or gossip or any of those ways that we use our words to separate us from one another. What Paul is saying here is that we who are Christians should love our neighbors. We should love one another. And so if we're going to love one another, there's no place for any of these things. Now, my wife, Jessica, is the one who pointed out this to me. That loving God, not committing idolatry, loving God, and loving one another, I mean, that's the greatest commandment, right? What Paul is after here is not just like, here's, some, here's a list of bad things and don't do the bad things, Christians. What he's saying is, when we put away these things, it's a sign that God has changed our whole being. Has changed the whole way that we are. We've died to these old ways of living. And we've been raised to a new life where we love God and love our neighbors. That's what Paul is after here. The change in our moral life isn't just, I'm going to act good now. I just need to stop doing these few things and do a few other things. No, it's death and resurrection. It's a whole new way of living. Last word on these things. Paul here also has in mind a vision of what does happen at the end when Christ returns. Paul says that when Christ is revealed, and we and that's the language for, for Christ's return, that we will be revealed with him in glory. And so yes, there is a future in mind, a future in which we enjoy the glory of God. And this too is a matter in some ways of death and resurrection. Because, because to participate in the new world of God, the glory of God when Christ Appears is to be raised. Some of y'all, any of y'all seen Band of Brothers? You might have seen this before. Maybe the movie 12 O'Clock High. Similar scenes in both of these movies. I'll go with the one from Band of Brothers. Um, there's a young soldier named Blythe uh, in Band of Brothers who is talking to a, a captain, Captain Spear. And he's telling him about how when he landed on D-Day, he was terrified. He found himself um, sort of in this protected area and he fell asleep. And he's telling him about all his fears. And what the captain tells him in response is this. He said, we're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope that you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you will be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. And he says, all, the world, all of the war depends on it. I want us to think about that as it relates to Christian life. Because there's a way in which that's right and a way in which that is wrong for us as Christians. The way in which it's right is this. We have to give up that we are, uh, we have to acknowledge that we've already died. 
We have died with Christ. And so the old ways that we wanted to do things are no more for us. For us to be a Christian is to acknowledge that we are already dead. But what Captain Spears' words to, uh, to blind don't capture about the Christian life is that for us there is hope. And for us, we have not only died, but we have been raised as well. And so for us, we haven't given up on life. We have a hope that is beyond anything we can explain, a hope that's beyond anything that we can express, a hope that should color everything that we do because Paul says Christ is all and in all. And everyone can participate in this hope. One of my favorite uh, uh, preachers who's not a Methodist is a guy named Scott Sauls in, uh, in Nashville. He's at Christ Church, Nashville. Um, if, I were to, if there were like a Methodist draft and I could like take one person to change him into a Methodist, I would take Scott Sauls and I'd turn him into a Methodist. Okay. Uh, Scott Sauls says this, The worst case scenario for Christians is eternal life with Jesus. Now how does this empower how we live? There's a stereotype of Christians who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But what I think that Paul is talking about here is that if we've died and been raised and it's changed us through our baptism, if it's changed us through the way that we live, then there are no more practical people on earth. Because we can live with access to the hope of the glory of Christ. So that whatever we do in our daily lives, our life with our families, our lives at work, our lives as we walk down the street, can be uh, an anticipation of the glory that we will have in Jesus. And so for us, we are a people, not just of death, who've given up on living, but we're people who have given up on our own way of living and have been raised into a new way of living. Through our baptism and through the life that Christ has called us to, we die and are raised again because we know that Christ will come and make complete all of this that we are working on in our, in our incompletion. So I want to invite you today, as the band comes back up and, and sings for us, um, spend some time in prayer. Maybe for you, uh, you need to ask, how do I need to die? Maybe today you need to respond the call to the call to die and be raised in baptism. Maybe you need to respond to the call to die and be raised in the way that you live. And so as we sing and as we worship, let's ask God to do that work in us. To kill us, to raise us again, so that we can look forward to the day when we gather in the glory of Christ who is all in all. Amen.